0: Thanks a lot for joining another episode of the FinTech Hustle. I'm Ron Shevlin, Director of Research at Cornerstone Advisors, and my co-host, of course, is Sam Kilmer, Senior Director here and leader of the FinTech Advisory Practice at Cornerstone. Welcome to another episode of the FinTech Hustle. We have two really great guests today that I want to introduce. The first is Allison Netzer, the chief marketing and strategy officer. I had to think which one went first on that one. It probably doesn't matter because she does both pieces very well. Uh, And I'm sure many of you know who Allison is. She is a industry veteran that's done some spin set, total expert, of course, who's a SVP EVP Chief Marketing Officer, whatever the title was at Coney, and, and then over at Temenos after they acquired. And I would be remiss not to mention that Allison is a fellow Forbes contributor. A great piece that she came out with uh, just a few days ago on how Gen Zers and Millennials can uh, or can uh, reinvent the or impact the, the banking industry. So please check that out on, on Forbes. And our other guest is uh, Scott Happ who is the president of the Secondary Marketing Technologies for Black Knight. Uh, Scott was a CEO, I think, founder or co-founder of Optimal Blue, uh, which has been acquired now by Black Knight. And Scott, too, is a veteran entrepreneur in the fintech space. He was co-founder or founder and CEO of MortgageBot. So, Allison, Scott, thanks a lot for joining us. Sam, as always, appreciate you, uh, your leadership of this. And uh, I'll get things kicked off here because... Uh, You know, we typically look at, we always ask our guests, you know, what's working, not working in the industry, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But, you know, one of the things that I think is kind of top of mind for a lot of people this week with some of the news of a a recent big uh, acquisition in the fintech space, and we don't want to talk specifically about that acquisition, but about the trend of mergers and acquisitions in the uh, financial technology space, A lot going on there. And, and Allison, you've been actually part of a, of a couple now, I I, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't want to ask you about the, the, the most recent deal in particular, but from a trend perspective, what do you think kind of going on from a mergers and acquisitions perspective? Uh, and where do you see things going over the next couple of years?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, financial services or, or the people in FinServe, I think, are, are naturally... Uh, acquisitive and and inquisitive so I think some of the trend just has to do with with the people leading these companies I think we immediately sort of go to what are the tech trends driving acquisition but I think it's actually interesting to look um at some of the leadership um especially as you see more folks with true banking credit union backgrounds moving into fintech and vice versa just naturally acquisitive personalities um there's also the desire for data, right? Even acquisitions that we don't put in that, this is a data acquisition bucket, are underneath, I think, in a sense about data, uh, whether uh, whether we realize it or not going in. So I think that's the second. And then the third is really the consumer demand, right? And since we, we push each other a lot, uh, there's positives and negatives to that, but the consumer themselves, I mean, they're they're voting for this type of, of trend, right? With their with their downloads and with their dollars, right?
0: So it's it's pushing
1: us, which I think is the right dynamic, uh, quite frankly.
0: Okay, but a lot of this doesn't necessarily touch the the consumer, uh, but you know, from a customer perspective, you know, a lot of the clients are financial institutions. You know, I'm not convinced that they're always so keen on on some of the these acquisitions. Uh, you know what. Uh, you know, what, how do you take into account the, the impact that it has on, on a lot of the, the, the financial institutions as clients?
1: Sure. I mean I think there's it, it introduces churn into the equation, which is, is kind of where I think you were going you know, with that. And the, it's never as simple as you know, buying technology or buying innovation. Um, you could argue you can't buy innovation. you can buy technology that then innovates, right and, and has to be part and parcel of the bank and the credit union. So, um, you know, I think you make a fair point uh, you know, there's not, it's, as you're being acquired or being the acquirer, it's, it's not always uh, a joyful experience, but I, I think it can be uh, once the technology changes hands and you really look at the culture, the processes, et cetera, that it's going to go into and support. And that is where I think there starts to become some consumer benefit um, in that regard.
0: So you haven't been through this, Allison. If you were advising, you know, the acquirer uh, of a of another company in the space, um, what would you tell them to go tell the the clients and prospects of the acquired company? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a good question, and and the answer is not. It's going to be business as usual. Uh, Sam has advised me on that in many dinners uh, over the years because. Why would you be doing it if it's going to be business as usual? That actually doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you want to reassure as much as you know you will have the power and the autonomy to reassure. But part of it is just leaning into, especially if you're a fintech, your early customers decided to go on the adventure with you, and you might not have had everything figured out. So rather than saying, "Ron, it's business as usual," it's, "Ron." This is our next adventure together. We're taking this leap together and I'm not going to let you down. Right. I'm going to break rocks for you just like, you know, just like I did for you when you, you know, purchased software before anybody else did. So I think kind of leading into the the new adventure, new chapter, um, not it's going to be more of the same. Nothing is going to change um, is what I would advise.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting. You kind of turned my question around a little bit, I did a little bit, yeah. You, which is good. But you're saying that it's really the acquired company that needs to go reach out to their client base Absolutely. versus the acquirer saying, okay, you know, we're here now and taking over, but don't worry, everything's gonna be gonna right. be fine because nobody's right. really buying that. And no. so Ron, hey, Ron, if I could yeah, just uh
2: for future best practice for future fintech hustle sessions is when a guest turns a question back on us. I think that's <laughs> You know I was going to do that.
0: Yeah, check yeah, mark. Good job, Allison. That's the way <laughs> yeah, this is a see how many times you can twist Ron's questions around on them and, and pin it back. It's it's a good game to to kind of play. Uh, Scott, uh, what's your take? You've actually been through this yourself a couple of times with Mortgage Bot and and, and Optimal Blue. What, what do you see as kind of the, the the trend in the space? And you know, Allison mentioned data, and of course that's very applicable to what what you've been doing. So what's your take on the, on the trends and where you think things are going in the next uh, couple of years yeah I, I think there's a, a few different forces you know there's been some big transactions in the you
3: know I kind of segment of the fintech world the mortgage tech piece uh, there's a few big forces I think if you look at the East transaction with Ellie I mean ice is famous for electronifying marketplaces bringing more analog processes to a digital environment very strong in the Data skill area. And I think that's what what drove that. That transaction was their belief that they could help further electronify the the mortgage process. You know, in the case of OB sale to 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 Black Knight, I I think, you know, in that case, you have a a player that's really trying to bring an end, you know, kind of a really true end-to-end capability. Uh, to to the market in in the mortgage segment so it's a bit of a different driver you know electronification data being the ice driver i think black knight's more trying to do some some work around bringing a a fully you know from 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 you know, the, the listing all the way to the you know to the the recapture of the loan you know 10 years into the servicing and uh so i think you we know, got bit, bit bit different drivers you know in the first M and A transaction I was involved in when we sold uh, mortgage to a Canadian firm, and in that case, they they just wanted to plant their their flag in in the U.S. And uh, so that was a bit of a different drive. Um, I, I do think, you know, on the on the like what changes part of the the discussion. You know, I I, I ideally, and I think you see it both in the ice deal. And in the, the the black knight deal with optimal blue, there are integration opportunities in both both those transactions. You know, the, the companies owned mortgage assets, mortgage tech assets, and there, there's opportunities to plug together those assets with the, the newly acquired businesses and actually create value for for customers. So there's a nice narrative in both in both cases. You, know, you need that, right? Because customers get anxious and they they want to be reassured that there's some benefit in here for them. And I I think in both cases, you know, there, there is.
0: Yes, Scott, when I kind of try to look at the broad history of acquisitions in the space, it seems to have kind of gone from, you know, really large companies like the the big cores, like FIS and and Fiserv and so forth, acquiring, uh, expanding their, their application set, you know, expanding from sort of a capability perspective and applications you know more now towards things where, you know, different. It's not so sort of expansion, but you know, moving into new businesses. Obviously, they you know uh, acquired and merged with some, you know, really big players in the in the merchant payment space. Uh, and now it seems that maybe more of the merger is from a acquiring innovation type capabilities. Do you, you do you see a, the nature of the acquisitions shifting over time, and where do we go from from here? Wow.
3: I think if there's a consistent theme over, you know, over the long haul, and, you know, it ebbs and flows a bit, but, you know, uh, innovators, typically people who are doing startups, you know, the way, you know, Allison's team has and and my team has, you know, oftentimes coming out of the industry, um, you know, developing an innovation, sometimes you see sort of surges the number of firms that are innovating, like we saw, I think, in the mortgage space five or six years ago, and then you know other times you see you see you know activity. I mean, as as it did, to kind of drive that point home, I, you know, I was involved in this um, this mortgage bot firm, which was a sale provider, and we sold it in 2012. Um, and there were maybe two providers at that time in that space, and I left the business for a while. And took some time off. Came back in four years later. There were, I think, thirteen point of sale providers. Four years later, an absolute explosion in innovation and activity. So it does, it does ebb and flow. You know, ultimately there'll probably be some consolidation and some shakeup. But this has been going on, and you know, in the in the tech world, you know, from from the beginning. And I don't I don't see it slowing down. In fact. It, it's that the barrier to entry is lower, right? You don't need to even buy a server these days. You don't even need an office. You just need a good idea, some hardworking people who know how to code, maybe a a, a credit union or a bank or a mortgage lender sponsor you and you're off and running. Uh, so the barriers to entry are lower than ever. I, I just think we're gonna see more innovation than we've ever seen
0: before. Again, it'll ebb and flow. But you um, know, uh, a couple things, Wait, like Sam, before you get into that, I'm going to get you, yeah, you a bet. second, but I just want to comment on something that Scott said, because he, he just basically exposed my, my whole business plan here. Um, I've launched something called SOAP. It's called Chevlin's Online Accounting Program. I don't have any employees. I don't have any code. I don't have anything, but um, I do have a the name. Evaluation, and though, right? and so val- if anybody wants to acquire my company... Now to get in early, uh, you're, uh, you know, please send me the the offers now. I think it's pretty, uh, you know, it's called soap. Sam, uh, so let me get to you, Sam. I didn't mean to, to cut you off, but no, no, uh, I, you know, I, I know you're out. you're a fervent watcher of this space. So, what's your kind of take
2: on what's going on? Well, for starters, I would say your valuation is currently forty five times revenue. The bad news being that you don't have any revenue. so I, I think <laughs> that's your valuation. Um, but as I, as I was thinking about this, the the one connective Piece here is that uh, Allison, I know at, uh, at Nimbus you guys have account origination as part of your suite, um, both with MortgageBot Scott and also with Black Knight. Obviously, origination was a theme. I think one of the interesting things is is, I mean, I was even at one of the the, the large core uh, provider conferences a, a couple of years ago, and how the, even then origination and helping a bank grow. Like actually not lead the not run the bank transactions and servicing, but actually grow the bank was not really seen as an area that was even really expected of a large enterprise provider. It was more about kind of almost uh, enabling uh, the, the, the running of the shop, not the growing of the shop. And it seems like it's interesting in so many of these acquisitions and Ron, you mentioned maybe not getting into some of the names, but heck I'll name some names that were out there. I mean, you we saw the Terrafina, N- NCR's acquisition of Terrafina, and I think you can follow a whole line of them. Meridian Link acquired a couple of different providers, and then they acquired, uh, re- more recently, TCI, uh, FIS, Zenmonix. They have some origination capabilities. I, I, one connective thing I've seen its kind of interesting is just the understanding of the sales process in bringing a client or customer member in Credit Union Land into the fold as opposed to just processing them. Once they're in, Um, I think it's kind of interesting too, that deposit origination continues to be kind of hot, even though we've just had a year where people had plenty of deposits. You know, it's not like we need a lot of deposits, but it's like the payments relationship. Oh, we used to talk about Ron back and when I was a banker, which when I had hair and that wasn't recently, was that the idea of, of the, you know, the primary financial institution associated with the payments account, you know, the checking account relationship now the debit card and credit card, it just seems like um, bringing on board commercial relationships, mortgage relationships, cross-selling the, the deposit and getting the cash management and businesses is, is as hot as ever. And you guys talked about data uh, data related things and you know whether it was um, Optimal Blue, Scott, with, I mean, I think it was interesting. One of the things that you, Uh, Mentioned about MortgageBot was that when MortgageBot was doing, and I remember this because the last firm I was at Harlem Financial Solutions, we had a partnership with MortgageBot. And you're right, you were one of just a couple of people that were doing what MortgageBot was doing. Then I thought it was interesting that when you became CEO of Optimal Blue and you and and you and the team kind of joined up there, I couldn't name at the time more than two or three or four firms at that time that were doing. Pricing specific data analysis. And in the mortgage realm, I could probably only name two, maybe. So I think it's kind of interesting that these entrepreneurs, you know, whether the system has been there for a while in the industry, or you've you've launched it out of kind of whole cloth and 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 sheer force of nature and will, you're one of only a couple of players, and it's good to be one of only a couple of players in the space.
3: You, you know, there's one other kind of interesting thing on the on the on the acquisition side. Data ties into data, um, and I you know maybe maybe you see this on the. I think sometimes we see this on the kind of the core banking side as well. But some of these businesses, you know, they're data businesses, they're SaaS businesses. But when you peel away the the layers of the onion, you realize that they're network, and those network businesses are the businesses that are. So, so powerful and and where you oftentimes get a very, very dominant player because of the effect, you know, the network effects that occur. So Verifin, of course, we saw that, you know, the the NASDAQ acquisition of Verifin for an incredible valuation. And that's a, you know, that's a data business. It's a SaaS business, but, but, but based on their model, you know, the more clients they have, the more valuable that, that data is. And the same is true. You know, Ellie's a network, and OB is a network. So yes, we we have data. We are, we're a SaaS platform, but it's that network effect that really makes some of these business models particularly powerful and valuable. And why you end up with so few players because that network effect can 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 uh, propel you to a very strong dominant place. So those, those are those are few and far between those businesses, but they're. They're, they're quite interesting and, 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 and quite good to be involved
2: in. Yeah, I think it's a good point you make about the the, the the network effect. I think many of you may have also seen in the last, I think three or four months that uh, Promontory rebranded as Entrify. They were the people that had the kind of the Cedars and just trying to expand the value of that network. And one of the great things about Optimal Blue, right, was just that it had so many institutions on it, Verif and so many institutions on it already, even mortgage MortgageBot, uh, Scott, when I think back on that and think when you were able to do kind of like peer-to-peer studies, right? Because you exactly. had all, sitting all the benchmarking, the right.
3: right? All that benchmarking, you know, becomes so, you, you you blend together a SaaS business. So you have all of your have, you have visibility into the data. Of course, you anonymize it, aggregate it. But the more clients you have, the more meaningful those benchmark measures, those market share measures, those productivity measures. Become and, and they there there again that just that network it, it just it it really is quite uh, an important underlying factor in some of the valuations and some of the market positions that we're seeing in in certain sectors of fintech.
2: Very interesting. Well, maybe let's jump in, Ron. We'll jump into another topic. So we I think we've kind of kicked around the acquisition uh, can a little bit. Maybe let's jump into another topic. at Just something that we saw recently in the in the news. Um, was uh, Walmart announcing that they were uh, getting into a partnership with uh, Rivet Capital, uh, related you know Rivet Capital uh, founders associated with uh, uh, Robinhood as well as a firm I believe. Um, looking back over that, and so Walmart wasn't real specific about what they're planning to do, other than just you know we want to get into fintech and financial services. Very vague. Very vague. What's that? They were very vague. Yeah, they were very, yeah, they were very vague. I don't know, Allison. Did, any thoughts on what these guys might, I mean, I know we're asking for kind of idle speculation here, but what the heck it's called. Yeah, a that yeah, I can, I can do up.
1: idle speculation uh, all day. I think it's mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't think Walmart knows yet. And actually think, I mean, that's, that's okay. Right. I mean, going kind of, we were talking about the data theme. I mean, retailers have always known the power of customer data, right? You could argue that, that, Financial services out absent credit unions have sort of lagged in really understanding the importance of that, right? And not just seeing it as a homogenized debt. So I think it, the the Walmart piece is interesting. You could kind of lump it in with this insert retail name here, wants to be a bank. We should all be scared about this. I, I don't actually think they're interested. In, and Scott and I talked about this in the prep call. I don't think they're interested in banking. I think they're interested in bank data. I think that they are going to look at money movement, not, not a banking relationship as, as we sort of kind of know and, and strive for. So I, I think it's interesting, but it's one of these, you know, we kind of talk about the pace of the industry. It's, it's nice that we're starting to see this fail fast slash fail succeed mentality. Like you don't necessarily have to know the end game if you know the ingredients. You will be able to make something really you know really interesting from it, and it may work and it it may not but that's that's one of the one of the interesting things I think about you know about the market but but no I think um they're in it for the data um, and you know they're certainly masters of, of utilizing that but I don't think they're wanting to be a bank I think that they're just wanting bank data but Scott, you've, uh, you've got some insight
3: here. Too. Yeah, no, this, this is just so interesting. You know, I mean, it's it definitely feels like, you know, history is repeating itself with the, you know, the the online banks or the, the specialized, uh, uh, you know, the, the specialized, um, you know, internet-based banks. Uh, you know, we saw this 20, 20, 21, 22 years ago. I just was thinking back, you know, bank one an old name they launched wingspan Bank uh some of you may recall that Synovis had point path bank triple a uh launched a virtual bank uh everbank was one of the first working with wilmington savings fund society and you know I, I think it um that 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 experiment didn't didn't work out and i you know I think there were the major major issue was uh cost of acquisition was just too too high to make it work and you know maybe some someone will figure that out this time maybe chime will figure that out i, I totally agree with you Mark will do something much more nuanced than they attempted to do the last time they looked to get into banking and i i, I did share this, this story I tell it here you know 20 years ago they were looking to launch a virtual bank they were looking for a mortgage platform i went down the the mortgage bot pitch we were going to do their front end as well as their back end fulfillment and um, I was I did I did marvel at the fact that they really were it really uh, walked the talk and didn't spend a penny on anything that wasn't absolutely necessary for the business or added value to the customer and I recall buying a cup of coffee in their uh, in their lobby waiting to see their vendor management um, people and I actually had to pay three cents for the creamer that went into my coffee so they were <laughs> quite quite frugal and I was Really blown away by how true they were to their uh, to their to their uh, brand, but uh, they ended up not not really proceeding with that with that initiative. And now twenty years later, a lot of these ideas are resurfacing, and I think this time you know two will be more nuanced, and um, you know we'll see if someone can find find the recipe. So it's certainly going to be interesting to, to see it unfold. I
1: Man,
2: I think timing, oh, go ahead, Allison.
1: And I think I mean timing is everything, right? I think we we assume we automatically assume first mover advantage. um, But there's, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages. And when you talk about, you know, digital or, you know, digital only virtual banks, um, having an online bank where you remove the teller is, um, is not, is not right, is not the digital bank definition today, right? And so when we kind of talk about the you know, the road being littered with these sort of failed digital banks, you know, what what I would submit to Scott's point is that was that was 1.0. And I think we should all be grateful to the folks that led that charge, right? It was a huge unknown at the time. But the cost of acquisition is lower now. Uh, There is kind of a I think a call it a second mover advantage and really learning that it is it is not just about convenience, it's You know, digital is the default now. Uh, So just taking the teller out doesn't necessarily provide a value. Um, You do need to provide that. The data plays really, really strongly into that, you know, as does, you know, as does the the branding. So it will be interesting to see what, what Walmart does. But we are starting to see these, like Scott said, these sort of second and third forays. Yeah, which is not not a bad thing. It's not I mean that we shouldn't. There should be no shame in trying something again with more information, with more knowledge, with more inspiration. Um, we should applaud that, right? And and you know, as things open and close, and I know we're probably going to talk about some of those examples. I don't necessarily see that as failure. I just feel like that's just the maturation of what we're doing. I mean, who like who like not every idea works. That doesn't mean you should never. The m- never try it. it just it should screw right. you to do it better the next time. and that's what I think we're going to start seeing a trend even stronger than the m and a piece, which is that second or third or fourth at bat doing better and better and better. And I think that's probably the most exciting trend that i that I see coming up here shortly.
2: Well, and you know what maybe Walmart was ahead of their time on the pay for your Kramer because we're all sitting here at home and while I see that you all have comfy chairs in the background. We do all have to buy our own Kramer. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, we do. And our chair. I mean, I bought this chair. So Nimbus, if you're listening. Remember,
3: That's right. You know, there there is a there is kind of an 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 analogous uh um Set set of events on the on the mortgage side. If you think about it, there was the same thing in this 1.0 20 years ago. Attempts to be you know national brand and online and you know upset the you know up, uh, disrupt the entire mortgage area. Never it didn't happen. But now we are seeing national brands be established um, in in kind of the direct to consumer environment so you know this is like people are finding recipes not there's not a lot of success stories but there's a few success stories in the in the in the mortgage world you know we all know the rocket story we' watching the Super Bowl we also saw a guaranteed rate you know with a, with a national ad you know loan depot and been in the market as well trying to build national brand. so there, there are there are success stories in this kind of second generation uh, f- fintech, you know, effort to build more national franchises around, you know, a different delivery model. So it, it you know, be a, it, certainly expect the same thing to occur in the traditional banking or on the banking side as well.
2: Cool. What do you think, Ron? What do you think anything about Walmart before we move on to something else? Yeah, I think there's actually two things going on here
0: with Walmart's fintech plans. And to set up the first one, I I would say I've been um, watching the show on Netflix and in the uh, episode last night, there was this woman who taught her dog to bark every time it heard the word Pellegrini. And if you want to hear Walmart bark, just say interchange because <laughs> that's what they jump to. And that's part of their DNA. I was at a conference a number of years ago had the opportunity to interview Lee Scott, the former CEO of Walmart at the time. He was the chairman of the board. And this was when MCX, the Merchant Customer Exchange Consortium, was starting up. And I asked him, I said, you know, in light of the fact that so many consortia fail, especially in financial services, what makes you think that MCX will succeed? And what he said, I've never forgotten. He said, I don't know that MCX will succeed, and I don't really care if it does, as long as Visa suffers. And there's the clue to how Walmart is going, how they act and, and react. Why do they want to get into FinTech? Because they find ways of sort of, uh, they can find ways of avoiding the traditional payments infrastructure and system so that they can uh, do, avoid, if not eliminate, interchange. That's number one. Number two, and Scott kind of alluded to it, they have been a leader in supply chain integration and innovation. For, for years. And I think that's why they announced a, a cryptocurrency about what, a year, year and a half ago at this point. It's not because they want consumers to use the Walmart coin. They want a cryptocurrency to speed up uh, payments within the, uh, the supply chain. So I think they've, they've been vague about what they're doing, Scott, because they don't want to tip their hand about the, the payments uh, avoidance piece. And I think they're going to look to a, a lot of kind of unsexy, boring stuff, relatively boring stuff, you know, from a fintech supply chain integration perspective, that's really going to uh, address a lot of their cost and, and, and speed, um, you know, speed to market, not speed to market, but the, you know, the the, the process cycle times within the, the, um, the supply chain.
2: I think that's where Walmart's going with their fintech plans. Mm, makes sense. Very interesting. Well, you know, and guys, if it's okay, Ron, if I can call a quick audible here, I saw a question come in from the audience, and I thought yeah. I would just kind of pose it and give you my first throwdown on what I was thinking on this. Question came in: uh, uh, What do you see emerging in the next three years in fintech? And I, I don't know that I have all the answers to that, but I just a few threads that just come out to my mind that I'd love to get our our uh, our guests' thoughts on this and yours too, Ron is. It seems like everybody's been investing in origination or account opening systems, and that's been hot. But I see a very immature lead gen capability uh in the industry, meaning as they build out the capability to handle volume and to and to open up new accounts and to sell better, just because you can sell better doesn't mean you have the marketing to drive the top end of the pipeline. And I think that's an area where there's there's some opportunities. I think another area that jumps out at me. Is what you were talking about on the interchange marking there, Ron? Which was um, c- uh, companies that, that that navigate the the commerce payments area, where they get into very specific industries, uh, know some you know a specific industry sector, and get into where payments and commerce overlap. Something in that uh, seems you know really. Um, Kind of kind of interesting to me. Uh, I don't really have any specific examples that I can cite, but something in that area. And I just think niches in general are fascinating to me. I know Allison, you yeah, is an area you you know we talk about this. You're you're a marketer around this, and not just in fintech, but in banking. This right. idea, how can a bank choose a community definition that is not a zip code, but is a you know, yeah. group of very specific people. I, I think that's hot, and I don't even know necessarily know why, but I'm intrigued by it. I don't know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, it's it's a I mean, it's it's a fun subject, right? To to talk about. I mean, we you know we believe that niche is the new local, right? It, it's sort of that replacement, if you would, for the the zip code. So you know, going back to the question, which I think is a good one, over the next three years, I think that banks and credit unions that lean into the fact that their charter is probably the most valuable thing that they have. You know, realizing that, utilizing that, I think is gonna is gonna kind of separate uh, the the pack in the next three years. And you know, clear bias, I have a clear bias, but I do believe, and, and Ron's probably gonna jump in on this, that that brand and marketing is is sort of the next frontier for banking I mean there's only so many ways to to check your balance right There's only so many products that can do that for you um but the way that it's positioned and who it's positioned to Sam to your your point about about niches is i think is is huge and and marketing is not a fluffy thing right it's it is the value proposition, but I think that when we think about mergers and acquisitions we think about some of the trends we've talked about and in our hearts we feel like it should have worked out better than it did i think the fact that there's not that the the sales motion there's not the the martech and the sales stack to support it inside the bank or the credit union there's not the people to do it and you know products don't sell themselves um so i think that that's probably
2: Kind of number two. Well, it's not end. always just the technology either. You no, know, it's it's not. I mean, yeah, it's how but you feel about skills. it. It's like, yeah. yeah, but there's more to it than I, I deployed Adobe and I'm and I'm I'm going with God. I mean, there's a right. there's a lot more to it that people you're talking about. You kick this off talking about people, yeah. right? And yeah. there's a people element to that that's a big deal.
1: Absolutely, we we tend to talk about kind of the move to digital, and and obviously that is happening, and people aren't going to branches, but. Branch workers aren't the only people in a bank, right? We we tend to think about like, well, all the people have disappeared. Well, no, that they're not going into the branches, but there are people that are tasked to sell the products of the bank or the credit union, you know, and, and that is an area that has not gone, has not matured at the pace that the technology has. And so that's when you're, you know, you can get ahead of your skis in the sales cycle when you don't have the product, but. I don't know what the reverse of being ahead of your skis are, but if your if your product is here and your say I don't know what it is and your sales motion is here, I, there's a gap, right? And that's that's a gap that's got to be covered
2: for sure. I think you're behind your skis is technically off your skis. You're, off you're your lodge, skis, yeah. In the lodge, knocking back a bourbon or something. But Scott, yeah, what do you? Man. Scott, I think so too. Scott, what do you think? What's going to be emerging? Any 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 wild wildcat predict? Yeah,
3: well. So it's a, su- a super interesting area. There, there have been a, nu- a number of firms. So you, ma- you mentioned Total Expert, but there's a, there's just a whole bunch of firms that are doing work in in mortgage tech around customer relationship management, customer retention, customer outreach. So you know, top of mind, Total Expert, Mortgage Coach, Jungle, Boomerang. I mean, there's a long list of these firms. They're all relatively small in scale and but that work that groundwork that that foundational work's been being done over the last five years but the business the industry has in such a boom period that you literally they the companies can't keep up with the business that they have so i think we're going to enter a, a different cycle now right rates are going to stabilize maybe they'll tick up And I I think that all these investments these firms have made in customer retention and customer satisfaction, customer relationship, management, building, those investments are going to pay off. Firms are going to want to put much more energy into maintaining those relationships. And in the mortgage world, you know, it's a lot about data and being really quick to market when there's a refi opportunity, for example. And I think most vendors would say they're not nearly as good at that as they want to be, and they'll need to be better at it. They'll need to be much more analytical, much data driven. So I think I think it's going to be a very exciting, you know, say in the next five years, there's a lot of these customer relationship management retention capabilities get deployed deeply into these organizations. You know, it's it's going to not only mean putting the tech in, but then you put the the organization in around the tech to kind of make it live and real and living and part of the company. So I, th- I think that, I think you hit on the right area for, you know, for, you know, uh, kind of the, the, and again, the innovations there, now it's got to be implemented deeply and thoroughly in the, in the mortgage industry. And that's going to happen.
0: That's great. Ron, what do you think? You know, it, if you look back over the past three, five, six years or so of fintech, I think a lot of what has emerged has been very front end oriented, very user interface, user experience oriented. And I think we're moving into a next phase of the fintech development, uh, which is much less sexy, much less um, consumer or user Focused and much more about the infrastructure, and I think maybe that's what Scott's alluding to when he talks deeper. But it's not just deeper within the banks and and credit unions; it's deeper within even the from the the fintech provider, the the technology provider perspective. You know, we've already seen bank as a service, but there's feels very surface almost. I mean, there's so much more room to go in terms of you know, lending as a service, card issuing as a service, uh, brokerage or other financial infrastructure. I think we're kind of moving from bank as a service to fintech as a service. Uh, And I think, you know, where the, you know, the ability to kind of develop and manage and utilize APIs becomes a real critical capability from both a uh, a, a financial institution perspective, as well as from a, a technology provider perspective. Um, and, and doing so not just to enable the financial institutions, but to enable better connection and interconnectivity between partners. That's why I think to maybe a certain extent, you know, a lot of the merger and acquisition stuff uh, could be, you know, what might have been a way of, of going about creating a, a an integration by just acquiring somebody. Now you don't have to do that anymore. There's better ways to kind of integrate. So I think that's one area that's more of an infrastructure. And I also think that it's about going back to this notion of the supply chain is really kind of attacking some of the the supply chain inefficiencies. I think there's a lot of opportunity from a small business perspective. You look at what Shopify is doing, what Stripe is doing in partnership with with Shopify, uh, you know, coming out with its, uh, you know, almost bank as a service capabilities. I, I think we're, you know, just at the at the tip of that iceberg, you know, and I look at what companies like Move and, and Unit and Syntera, uh, Treasury Prime are, are doing, and I think that's kind of what we're going to see much more so in the next three to five years.
3: If I can pile on there, Ron, just on your infrastructure point, um, I, I think I, you're totally you're totally spot on, and and the driver there is is for at least in the in the mortgage sector for the first time in twenty five years. We actually have the ability to connect with, you know, vendors can connect with one another via API in a very streamlined, scalable way. There's been a lot of talk about system to system integration for years. And I remember the old, old days of EDI. And we have these these APIs that, you know, are, are are more and more central to what we're doing. And that allows, you know, like like if I kind of pick on my own, my own optimal blue, you know, which is a is a is an engine. You know, you you don't you no longer need to go and use the UI or that engine to get information out. You you can have any system talk to that engine via API, and we are we are seeing that and really catch fire. And you know, hundreds of our clients are now taking advantage of that system to system integration. Um, and so, I think that is that infrastructure as a service and. From our perspective the, the key was that we 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 said we decided we didn't care how someone got at the engine whether it was through API or through the UI we were we were agnostic in terms of how they accessed it. So I think it's a great point that infrastructure as a service is uh clearly going to be something
0: we'll see more of. Allison you must have some thoughts on this coming from Nimbus now?
1: Yeah, I do have a couple of thoughts. So I it, the point you made, Ron, I think is interesting because you know, sort of, you usually have this sort of classic, you know, build or buy kind of mentality. And I think what you brought up is interesting, which is it could be, you know, build, buy, or integrate. And and the thought of integration as opposed to acquisition solves a lot of the pieces we talked about earlier. When when you acquire, right, where you've got the cultural piece, the process piece, the you're one of 15 other new things on the shelf piece, so. Um, I think leaning into integration as not just a technical option but also as a as a business model even brand option I think is is super interesting because I think that the open banking and the API economy all of that's been kind of well discussed and it's there but kind of going back to what Sam said is like so how do you activate? How do you activate that? How do you turn that into, you know, a a sales advantage or an advantage for your bank, your credit union, or your fintech, right? Just saying you have it and just doing it takes care of the technology part, but it doesn't actually move you forward, right? Until it's integrated into the overall business strategy, right? It's a tick box if you just see it as a technology piece it enables i think you to talk about a broader integration story and hopefully or potentially save yourself from some of the churn that happens with acquisitions right there's not no one really churned when you integrate you know when you do yeah. integration there's no churn there's no you know no one's crying you know that kind of thing so it, it can be a lot it can be an easier a path of least resistance but i would just say just doing the connection is similar to just acquiring the company. If you leave it at that, the result will be no different than what you
2: have today. Yeah, I just wanted, I just real quickly, I'll just point out that one of the, one of the questions, more of a comment, was saying that banks and credit unions are declaring progress with MarTech way too early. <laughs> yeah. The point that you just made there, and I wanted to point that out from the audience, but. Uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So Ron, what do you think? You want to move into another, into another topic and, Keep keep it moving. I see some things coming in and we had some other things on the agenda. What do you think? Uh absolutely. Uh question is uh, do you want to get to uh
0: challenger banks or do you wanna get to what's working, not working in the industry? We got time for for one more uh Man.
2: topic. Let's start, you know what? Let's let's mix it up here. I'll call it audible. Let's talk first about what's if we have some time, we'll come back to challenger banks. What do you guys see working and not working in the business right now? Just let's let's go there. Whichever, whoever wants to go first. Scott, you have any thoughts on that? What's working? Uh,
3: Yeah. Uh, So you remember last March when the pandemic hit and uh, those of us that were in the real estate related world, I I, I think the concern was that the the home market, the home buying market, residential real estate market was literally going to just shut down and of course the exact opposite happened so what's working you know the the, the 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 home market the home buying market the home financing market not only is it working but we did four tri- we financed four trillion dollars of transactions last year so that's that's working the the, the 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 mortgage market the home market it's unbelievable uh how well it's working and we had to of course I'll handle things completely differently than we we ever had before. So that's working. I'm gonna I'm gonna break that as my number one item. Allison?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot working. And I think it's good that I get to go before Ron because I think there's a lot more working yeah. than not. Uh, what, I mean kind of a, a macrocosm of what Scott said what's working is the pace, right? I think the pace is working. You know, I, I don't think we should be wringing our hands about the pace of MA and the pace of this and that. Like we need this pace we are making up for lost time and we're charting a different future. So we need this pace. So, um, I think that that's working well. And and like I said, I'm I'm starting to see the fail or succeed just something fast mentality take hold even outside of the technology. And and so I think that that's, that's working extremely, extremely well.
2: All right. So let's go to the others. Well, Ron, what do you think? Any, do you, do you want to focus on what's working, Ron, or do you want to save your powder for what's not working?
0: <laughs> uh, now let's go to the other side. Well, oh, wait, uh,
2: wait, before
3: you do, can I throw out one more? Yeah. This is just a little, a little thing, The little things sometimes add up. I and mean, maybe it's just my personal experience, but single sign-on is finally working. Just in terms of, you know, my my own, you know, daily life with all the different portals and systems that I have to use and just being able to go sign on to everything one time. I know this is not, I don't know how widespread it is, but I feel, and of course it's, you know, it's, it's the big tech players that enabled this like Microsoft, but that's a huge time saver when you get it to work.ing I know it's just a little, is it, is, is single sign on working for you?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think single sign on and 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 there are lots of little things to your point. I don't know if that's just, you know, that we're all working from home and and noticing it more, but there there are so many little efficiencies in the process, right? We talked about supply chain process. I think there's 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 improvements just in the overall workflow. Single sign on is one, and there's a couple others I can think of. But yeah, I mean little little time savers like that, I think, yeah, you've got to take the wins, big and small. So. All
0: right. Well, thank you. Just had to throw that out there, <laughs> so, Sam. Before you move on to the what's not working, I, I will throw out one comment about what's working, and, and oh. it's not a specific point, but something more general. I think there's a overstatement on the part of a lot of fintechs that come into the market, like you know, the, the, the direct to consumer fintech startups, who like to position everything they do as, a, you know, the, the world of financial services and banking is broken, and we're going to come in and fix it. And reality is, is that's that's not the case. We've seen so many challenger banks like Monzo and N twenty six try to come into the U.S. Uh, you know, with the when I've interviewed them, they're you know asking, well, what's you know wrong? What's good? you know why are you you see U.S. as this market? But, well, you know, the traditional banking, you know, mobile banking is, is so broken and it's a terrible user experience. And reality is it it isn't terrible, right. and there's you know fairly high satisfaction. J.D. Power, I think a couple of years ago, actually showed that, you know, the big banks had now large, uh, higher satisfaction than the mid-sized banks and credit unions. And that's not a knock on the midsize and credit unions. It just shows that there's, you know, you can come back from being the big, bad, evil providers. So this, I think we're overplaying or, or some of the fintech entrepreneurs are overplaying the, the broken aspect where, you know, for the most part, from the consumer perspective, you know, things are actually not so bad.
1: I would agree. I think in some cases they're they're uh, solutions looking for problems, as opposed to to actually addressing. And it's not saying you know it's it's perfect, but I would agree. And, and progress can only be made and sustained if you acknowledge the progress that you're making. And I think there's a lot of great momentum out there right now. And I, I would agree. I think some of this is sort of some of it's self imposed because I think we're all really hard on ourselves and we're wanting to to do the right thing and, and get to, to perfect, but um there's a lot of progress, you know, a lot of progress before you get to perfection. So I, I would agree.
0: So, yeah, Sam, so we've just got a few more minutes. And yeah. so we really need to go to the what's not working because if I start that off, we'll be here play. for another hour and a half. So we should I, that one. I just have
1: one. Yeah, just one thing and then we'll let yeah Ron can take the next Here's one thing, and I've always had a problem with this is, is the risk model in, in, in fintech, right? So we beat up the banks and credit unions for not being innovative. But at the same time, we expect them to carry the entire financial and brand risk anytime they want to do something. And that's just, you know, as an outsider coming in, this always struck me as strange for a bank or a credit union to accept that kind of risk. And so to me, it's, it's no wonder that in some cases, you know, feet get dragged because I just think that is a strange, strange model. Um, that just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for anyone. It doesn't have the vendors not accountable. Um, it's just a strange model. So that's, that's my one, one thing that's not working.
3: Um, so I'll, I'll toss one out and it's, it's more kind of mortgage industry specific, but, um, you know, if, if, if you are runners, you know, if you're running and you have a, a tailwind, you know, and that tailwind just, you know, goes on and on and on and on, you start to think maybe you're a little, at first you realize it's a, you know, it's a it's a tailwind. And then at some point you just think, well, I'm a, I'm a better runner. I really, I really am. And I think what the market has been strong for so long that I, I think, I think it could breed over. Op- confidence and i think that's probably the same thing happening in in the stock market and in, in, in dogecoin uh and other other items uh, there there's a risk here that this this uh you know the the me- memory fades and 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 people people to interpret the amazing uh business as you know being you know less a function of a wonderful environment and trends and low rate environment more a function of of uh, of uh, you know skill and and strategy and you know there's, there's undoubtedly both but I, I do think we run we run the risk of of uh, of being overconfident as a, as an industry and people are I think well, well advised to to try and keep that in check best best they can
2: yeah I, I would say one area that I don't think is working well um, from all of our client engagements we, we we talk to banks and credit unions out there but also I would also just say industry providers in fintech as well. And that is when you get beyond the tried and true use cases of data, fraud detection, credit decisions, maybe reduce some costs. Uh, What I find is that most people are interested in using data to grow the bank or to grow the fintech. And yet, I think more often than not, whenever we ask for use cases or what are you trying to, you know, give me three examples of how you're trying to, to grow the bank using data. It's hamana, homina, homina, homina. It's 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 either there's nothing there or it's not specific enough. Um and I just I would just suggest that anybody that's anybody that's either using data to solve a problem around growth, meaning basically we're talking back to the Martech example, Allison. Mm-hmm. It, this is a little bit MarTech, but it doesn't have to only be MarTech, right? But the point is, is that using data to grow the bank, what are three examples that your bank, what are three problems your bank is trying to solve? Then we'll go talk about technology and what we throw at it. But what are the three problems? Just articulating those crisply for anyone, board of directors, employees. You know, vet, good to have a vested team that's really motivated and very crystal clear, right? I think it's interesting about something like an Optimal Blue is it was very specific around pricing, right? Whatever you're very specific in what you're doing, I think it's easier to do that. But I think if you're kind of broader, it just gets a little bit more nebulous. And I find that people are kind of struggling with that a little bit. Um, So that's my take on some things that aren't working.
0: Hey, so Sam, we're about five minutes, four minutes at the top of the hour. I want to make sure that we keep to this uh, and let everybody go to the meetings or wherever they got at the top of the hour. So I will skip sharing uh, mine. what's not working. I just say I think I agree with Allison on, on hers. Uh, I do want to make just a uh, quick announcement that um, uh, for the next uh, fintech hustle, we are going to rename it to Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. He's oh. gonna be the new name of uh, <laughs> of the uh, of the podcast. But, uh, Sam, uh, on behalf of Sam and the rest of Cornerstone, Alice and Netzer, Scott Happen, wanna thank both of you for for taking some time out of your day to to join us and and, and share your thoughts and opinions on what's going on uh, in the world of fintech and fintech hustle. And everybody, uh, thanks a lot for joining. we look forward to uh, seeing you at the next episode of the fintech hustle. Thanks a lot. Bye, thank you. 阿爸